Welcome to the Stories of Transformation podcast. I'm your host, Bakhtash Ahadi. Each week I dive into deep and intimate conversations with distinguished guests who share their unique perspectives about the most interesting topics of our time. In today's episode, I'm in conversation with Ed Lattimore, who is a former professional heavyweight boxer, competitive chess player, and a best-selling author. His writing focuses on self-improvement and a practical approach to Stoic philosophy. You can learn to do anything in life and overcome any adversity with practice and a growth mindset. This is the key lesson that Ed Lattimore discovered again and again when he became sober, when he beat his pornography addiction, when he worked his way up to becoming a professional boxer, and when he got his physics degree despite failing it in high school. And now he writes about it professionally. Ed grew up in the projects of Pittsburgh, raised by a single mother, never really feeling safe. He initially went into boxing career as a means to an end, having no clue the positive impact it would have later on in his life. It was the catalyst for him to understand the growth mindset. In this episode of Stories of Transformation, we hear a powerful story that shows that anybody is capable of overcoming adversity. We learn how a failed student, alcoholic, and porn addict turned his life around through self-discipline, and now he teaches others how to do the same. As always, if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it far and wide. So, without further ado, I bring you Ed Lattimore. Ed Lattimore, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm pretty good, man. Ed, I wanted to speak with you because you have a remarkable story. Your story is one where you started from a place of confusion, deprivation, and you went through many different things to find your way. And I'd like to unpack how you kind of transformed your life in many ways, but I think probably it'd be really great to kind of start the conversation by asking you, in your own words, how do you describe what you do? <laughs> uh, what I do right now is I write. I write and I market and sell and I try to teach people what I know, what I know are two things really well. I know writing for social media. That's kind of the, the big skill that makes the, the big money. And the other thing I do is I teach people how to overcome a lot of their adversity, particularly as it comes to addiction. I had a big problem with alcohol and problem with pornography, and I beat both of them. So I try to take what I've learned and use that experience to teach direct and really just serve and give back, you know, because I'm, I'm, I never forget how how much differently my life could have turned out uh, if I hadn't got in control of myself. So if someone wants to do the same thing, I try to help them do it. Yeah, that's remarkable. I appreciate you sharing that. So what I'd love to do, Ed, is talk to you about how your childhood being born in Pittsburgh really kind of informed your notion of what adversity was all about and how you kind of approached adversity. I think that's a good starting point to better understand your transformational journey. I was born and raised in the projects. My dad, oh, well, he I knew who he was and like he he was not a phantom in my life, but to say he was an active part of it is just downright wrong. So I was effectively raised, you know, by a single mom, at-risk youth, that kind of deal, in a very violent neighborhood, born and raised in poverty. You know, I think a lot about my childhood, and I don't ever remember feeling safe. 
school wasn't a safe place because school anything could happen there was a lot of violence home wasn't a safe place because things could happen and there was violence now i don't think i started to feel safe until i went to a high school it was across town and that high school was with a completely different set of people who didn't grow up in the neighborhood i grew up in from a completely different socioeconomic background and I got to see what was kind of possible. And it's one of those experiences that when I look back, I think that really helped me go after a different thing in my life, trying to take a different path. It certainly made me the beneficiary of positive peer pressure. A lot of my friends were incredible people, the kind of people I wanted to be like. They had the families that I, that I wanted to have. So that in a nutshell is kind of what happened from like zero to 14 you know i was in this world and that world was a very rough uh, unforgiving world uh, not a lot of vision outside of it and then i get to a completely different world because and, and part of that was my own initiative i wanted to go to a different school i recognized that if i continued where i was you know I, I just i wasn't happy i wasn't enjoying it so i go to this other school and i get to see a completely different part of life and that that really sets the path that really helps me get going that's really interesting so help us understand how you kind of toggle between a feeling of insecurity and then a feeling of safety and how did you kind of navigate those waters uh you know probably with a lot of awkwardness looking back I mean, i'm sure i was an odd kid in high school but as part of that oddity, you know, I figured out little things that would help. For example, if I played a sport all year round, I didn't really have to go home, right? Uh, if I had friends and I hung out with them, I didn't really have to go home. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure there was in high school, I think I maybe spent one, maybe two holidays at home. And I was always not home after school because I wanted to do things and part of it was better myself but a big part of it was I just didn't want to be at home and I couldn't and didn't want to deal with that that wasn't a safe it wasn't a happy place for me it wasn't a place where I felt like I was going to excel I just wanted to be gone in a way uh, looking back there were a lot of positive externalities things I didn't intend to happen but did happen and were good for me because I I did that so in your own words now, how do you kind of define what it means to find a sense of home and belonging? Oh, well, now I build it. It's weird, man, because even as an adult, I, I don't, I never, only recently have I, have I learned to think in terms of permanence. And even still, it's an unnatural thought. It's more of a, a thing I have to do because it just makes sense in the course of planning for the future. And I don't know if that's that's a good or bad thing. It just is how, how I am. Even now, you know, I, I love the apartment I have now and I'm, and I'm still thinking like, okay, what's the next move? What's going, you know, where's it coming? You never feel like anything is going to be around for very long. So for me, uh, home is home is my state of mind. That's the only place where I can, I can feel controlled, you know, and, and trying to have a, have any type of safety any type of influence you know no, no matter what happens around me i always have control of what was going on up here and then from that i can shape my environment and make things work in a way that will be advantageous to what i'm trying to do and advantageous for my safety and my direction the stoic thinking that you're sharing with us when did you realize that this was 
the most optimal way of thinking? What was the moment in your life where you realized, I can't control my external environment, so in order to kind of change my understanding of the world, I'm going to change how I perceive what's happening in my environment? You know, I always say I naturally lean towards stoicism, but the reality is, I mean, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But I did figure out very early that everyone around me is going to do their own thing and I can't make them do anything. All I can do is insulate myself and not feel despair, not give up, not feel frustrated or what do I have control over kind of how I approach how I respond to things when you focus on what you have power over your power increases and that is that is like to a T how I learned to see the world I realized you know I didn't have any control over any you know a shooting in my neighborhood or something like that I didn't have any control over how much resources I had. What I had control over was, was my work ethic and my approach and setting myself up for future success. I had control over that stuff. I didn't have control over anything else. So I learned to focus on what mattered. So tell us about your career in boxing. How did it manifest? How did it play out? Who did you find yourself to be in that moment? Uh, you know, boxing at, at the very start when I was an amateur, because I started fighting at a relatively late age. I didn't start fighting until I was 22. And I went into that sport because I had no direction in my life. And I wanted some direction. I was like, okay, I got to figure out something to do. You know, the story I always tell is I was I was like, I had tried to go to college once and, you know, failed out miserably and it just wasn't working out. And I was thinking about the military and boxing and it was one or the other because i need to do something i didn't like where i was at and i said the military i mean i said boxing gives me a little more options and a little more flexibility about what i'm going to do in the future so uh, i went with that and my mentality when i went in there was i'm not going to quit right if i'm done fighting it'll be because i got beat out the ring or i got injured or somebody just came to me and was like dude this is not for you for whatever reason so I stuck with it. I had some success. I had a little bit of failure. You know, I kept getting better, kept learning, kept getting better, kept learning. And before I knew it, with some key moves and a, and a lot of hard work, I had put together an amateur career. But I looked in the book and I had, you know, a, a win-loss record of 41 and 11. I had put together, I got a national title out of everything as an amateur. I, I was sponsored. I fought along with some great guys. And the next natural step was to turn professional. I trained and trained, but because I had a really good amateur career and I had a good start with my professional and I had people who were connected, I got a promoter. I got signed to Rock Nation Sports and that really helped my career. I was finally making some money that was like usable and livable. And then, you know, I, I fought with them, I think, for almost two years and then I lost them. And my loss was in such a fashion. They were like, yeah, we got to cut you. What ended up happening is uh, I got injured during the training for the next fight, and I just looked around at everything I had accomplished because at this point I was making pretty decent money online, and my writing was carrying me. And I was like, my coach was like, what are you doing, man? This is a rough game. You don't really need to do this anymore. Uh, so it's hard, man. It, it's, it's hard and miserable. Uh, very few people very few people boxing is their first choice. I'll say that. And, you know, with some notable exceptions and because of the cultural ties, but for a lot of us, it's because 
we didn't have the grades or whatever, or we didn't like the system or get along with people to, to play one of the big sports where there's like scholarship and money and TV time in, in, in America, and that's basketball, football, hockey, or baseball. What did it feel like as you were entering the ring every single time, knowing that fight after fight, you were getting better, faster, and stronger? How did that all kind of manifest in your life? Well, it, it comes with stress. You just, <laughs> because the, the further along you get, the more serious you have to take it because the level rises because now you're better. Fortunately, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm damn near a psychopath about this kind of thing. And that I wasn't one to ever feel nervous. I mean, it just, I would just look around and, and really feel kind of a Above the situation, like like looking down, like like I never felt an emotional attachment. It was very hard for me to fight angry, for example, because it wasn't anything to be angry about. It was a fight. It was, it was a it was a painful event. It was a tough event, but it was an event that pushed you and made you stronger. And and to me, I think you know my coach said I looked at it too much like a a sport and not a fight because boxing is is very different than other sports. Oh, let me ask, what's the difference? So there's a movie, Undisputed, with uh, Ving Rhames and Wesley Snipes about prison boxing. And they're interviewing this guy who's about to go to prison. He's a, a heavyweight champ. And he's got this great line. They, they go, what's the difference between boxing and other sports? And he goes, well, first of all, nobody plays boxing. And that always stuck with me because it, it, it is, you know, every other sport, for example, fighting is penalized one way or the other. Not in boxing. That is how score is kept. That is how things are done. You know, you got to get in there and you got to do what you got to do. You got to effectively try to kill some guy. In fact, the only reason why you don't kill the guy is because the Marquis of Queensberry rules make sure uh, that that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, there's there's a natural kind of stop point. But you still go in there with that intent to do maximum damage to someone. And it's very natural for a person to think that way. And it's even rarer, I think, for a person to deal with someone who's fighting them with that intention to hurt them and to hurt them badly. So what's that like knowing that you're actually going in there trying to destroy somebody? You get used to it. You you learn to function that environment. I, th I think someone said it to me a while ago. I don't remember who, but they said, you know, there's something wrong with everyone who fights because human instinct, human nature is to go the other direction from a fight or from a conflict. But for whatever reason, we go and we get in there repeatedly. What was it that kept you going back fight after fight? I kept getting better. And, and and I don't mean that just as a as an athlete. I was becoming a better human. Oh, that's super interesting. Tell me more about that. What do you mean? I think an interesting thing happens when you have to confront your weaknesses the way you have to in boxing. They get eradicated or you don't make it. Now, in boxing when you when you don't make it, it usually occurs in a violent and embarrassing fashion. And every man has an ego and he doesn't want to be embarrassed. So he goes as far as he can. And I was no different. I was learning to interact with people. I was learning to exist in this environment where it is, it's a meritocracy at the purest level. You know, either, either you can fight or you can't fight, right? And we'll find out if you can fight. 
And part of that, you know, we want to make sure that you've been disciplined. We'll see how disciplined you are. Are you keeping yourself in shape? Are you, may you, you know, dealing with your habits? I always say one one of the reasons I put down four reasons when I had when I got sober, and one of the big ones was my boxing career. I was like, okay. This is important, and it was so it helped me get rid of vices, and it helped me pick out things that were wrong and separate them. As you're kind of bettering yourself through the process of being a boxer, how did your transformation actually happen as a matter of you facing who you actually are and facing your weaknesses? You beat them. For example, like I remember when I couldn't jab for anything. I had just a terrible jab. And I had two options, ignore it and let that be my downfall or develop it and keep getting better. And I remember how much time it took to learn how to do this correctly and how exhausted I was and how I just was like, this sucks. Why can't I get this? But you just keep going because you don't have a choice. And then one day you get it and it's like, wow, how did I not know how to do that? And that's the kind of attitude I learned to take with everything. I tell people, you know, I was a, I was a terrible math student in high school. I fell to class and, I, and there was no hope of me ever doing anything related to quantitative reasoning. But because I went through boxing and I got to see what happens when you apply yourself diligently and you really focus on getting better, right? That's all that matters. I was like, okay, well, I can go and study math. I can go study physics, and that's what I ended up earning my degree. And I was, and and that's a that's a testament to what is possible when you learn how to practice, when you learn how to work. How do you think growing up in poverty informed or enhanced your ability to be a boxer? Boxing is miserable. Right, the the training is just not fun. The fight really ain't that fun either. Uh, and if it is fun, it's not going to last very long because that means you did a really good job. So most of boxing is just unpleasant, monotonous, and repetitive. When you come from a hard background, it's really easy to do hard things in the future. Uh, you know, I wasn't leaving comfort. It's not like I knew a life like, like I talk right now, like. If I was to step into the ring now, I'd have to recondition my mind. I'd have to get back to that guy because this guy is kind of comfortable. That guy wasn't. I was, you know, very at peace in that environment because it was what I knew. It was a hard environment. I I just have to learn how to do it again. You know, the human can adapt. But that is how that really helped me is that. I wasn't I wasn't coming from comfort. Help us understand your alcohol addiction and your addiction to pornography. How were they the same and then how were they different and how did you kind of pull yourself out of that darkness? So, we'll talk about how they're the same first. That that is easy is a thing. It's giving in to what's easiest for you. What you're gaining is, you know, a sense of enjoyment and distraction from the real world. And this is an easy way to get it. You know, sit down, pull up a screen. Boom. There you go. And now you don't have to think about your life. Go grab a bottle. Boom. Drink that. And and now now you are, are feeling good, having fun without actually 
uh, putting yourself out there to talk to people, okay, and deal with those things. So excellent for for doing that to keep you from en- engaging with reality and how it can be harsh sometimes. Now the the big difference between the two, people knew I was an alcoholic. You know, you could just all I had to do was go out and look at my my life or some of the things I did under the influence and be like, hey. You have a problem, and it's very easy for a person to see it and diagnose it and and have a talk with you. Pornography is not that way. That that's that's something in the shadows. You know, you're just dealing with. You can live a, a life and and no one knows, right? You know, but no one else knows. That problem compounds because a big thing about addiction is you don't think you're an addict until you try to start recovering. A lot of people don't even think they're porn addicts. And then there's no one to point out to them that they are. Like at least with drinking, you can be in denial, but someone can. But enough people can be like, "Look, man, I know you're saying it's not an issue, but let me show you what you're doing. Let me tell you how you've been living. I can see this. You know, you showed up to my kid's birthday party smelling like booze. You know that kind of thing. Like it's very easy to see and point out externally. Porn is different. How did you kind of confront your addictions, and how did you think about them? I think about it in terms of what was most necessary. It was one of my favorite quotes is, you know, the difficulty of a task is irrelevant if it's vital to your success. And once I, I declared that these things were uh, problematic for what, I, for what I was trying to do, then it was just, okay, what do I got to do to, to cut and deal? Now, which one of the two was easiest to kind of confront and overcome? I think it's easier to quit alcohol because it's easier to avoid it there's a lot of support behind it rather it's easy to gain support if you have friends like i can say i'm not drinking and it'll be like you know you'll deal with like uh either them directly kind of helping you interfere or some social pressure built up uh you know it's it's so ingrained in our society it, it's it's easy to be an alcoholic or rather it's easier and it's easier because there's um because there's, there's there's encouragement. Porn is is different because there is because the nature of how it's consumed, it's not a group activity. You know, people aren't going to be looking around or looking at you and have an issue. Uh, you can be like, all right, I'm good, and then just find yourself drifting back to it. And and on top of that, here's the other additional challenge of pornography. Your body's kind of designed, we're designed for the end result, it's that middle part. We just figured out how to hijack meeting a person and having a relationship with them. So, so like, like alcohol is a poison in every sense of the word, you know. Uh, if you're just trying to be healthy to your optimal health, you won't drink. It's not quite the same way with pornography, right? That's a different thought process you have to go through and, and you really have to want to be better you know your job can decide that your alcohol consumption is a problem no no one can really decide your porn consumption is a problem uh to the point where it can affect your livelihood i mean you're you're if you're, if you're married or something your your girl or your wife can be like yo this is an issue and at that point then you, you've got a serious issue but it's a matter of confronting you know the ugliest part of ourselves as it pertains to these addictions what did you kind of learn about yourself in the process of overcoming these two addictions? So you you learn that anything can become a habit. 
because what I say is I, I don't say I'm sober. I mean, unless it's like for colloquial talks, like, you know, explaining like why I don't drink. But what I say a lot of times I have a sobriety habit because right now at this point, it would be harder for me to drink than it would be to not drink. I mean, I, and that's good. I've set it up that way. But like because I made sobriety a habit, I've, I've built a life that supports that habit. And so I built this environment that supports my habits. Same way with pornography. I don't you but like my computer. I live with my girl. My my computer's out in the open all the time. Uh, and plus we live together. And she works at home just like me. So like there's no way to kinda get back into it even if I wanted to. And then when the opportunity presents itself, I'm still like, well, okay. Cause now my brain's not conditioned. You know, it's it's a habit. So you can you can make anything a habit and if you use the wording correctly that can work for you you know and and I've, I've really figured out i think i've done a really good job in my life of taking advantage of that principle making habits of whatever i need to make a habit out of so what i'm hearing you say then ed is that everything in life is practice everything is practice yes everything is practice it's practice for something else right maybe not the thing you're you're getting ready to deal with uh, immediately that you're practicing for you know my, my boxing training was not practice for physics right but it was practice for the skills that allowed me to learn physics and be disciplined my sobriety was not a practice for not drinking but it was practice for my willpower and how i resist things that could otherwise be damaging to me this is important now you're in a space where you are sharing wisdom and lessons from the experiences that you've had in your life of growing up in poverty, being a professional boxer, overcoming your addictions. So tell us now what it's like to be a writer and have this sense of responsibility now that people are seeking your wisdom from the experiences that you've gone through now. I love it, you know, because I get to have an audience, right? And and I'm really fortunate the way I kind of went about doing this. I didn't start the blog when I was still drinking or anything. I did. It was just part of my life. So I, I wasn't even sure to write about my sobriety. And eventually it just kind of made sense to start talking about it. All of this is coming from a position of what I want to write about and what is important to me. And it, like if someone asks me a question a lot, you know, perhaps it makes sense to start writing about it. But for the most part, I'm writing what is important to me. And that I think it gives my writing an air of authenticity and it and it makes it fun for me. It makes sure I enjoy what I'm doing so I can continue to serve people. Because I couldn't imagine doing this if it felt like an obligation. That's one of the reasons why we gravitate towards any type of self-employment is because we want to be free of obligations that don't align with our purpose, our vision, our values. So I'm I'm fortunate that helping people is always aligned with me and what is important to me, giving back. I, I consider a lot of the writing I do giving back, helping, showing people what's possible, you know, because I think my life is a really good example of that. And all you know, I just happen to be born in the in the internet era, <laughs> the social media era, where I can say some things and have a big reach as a result. Oh, this has been great, Ed. So, what I want to do is kind of wrap up this conversation by asking you one final question, and it's this: What's your message for the world? That given enough time, 
you can change anything. Nothing is set in stone. Whoever you want to be, you can eventually become that person. But you have to start taking steps. It's, it's a journey, man. And that, that old cliche, a journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. It's absolutely true. Because you may not know where you end up, but the mere purpose of taking or, or the mere action of taking a purposeful step towards a concrete goal is going to introduce so many other positive things into your life that you can't even imagine it. But you can become different, like no matter where you're at. And I want people to, to really take that message to heart. Like I still get opportunities because I boxed. I haven't been in the ring in four years. And that open things up for me. So it's all about what 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 you what you do was you take steps towards a certain goal that's going to move improve your life. You have to improve to reach it, you have to change to reach it and as a result, you attract other things into your sphere that you didn't even know existed and they will help you and it will make your life awesome. Ed, I love that, man. Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for the work that you do. Hey, thank you for having me and thank you for listening. To my story. Thank you for joining us on the Stories of Transformation podcast. This podcast is produced by Dana Drahos. Audio engineering by Joe Genjemi. Marketing by Catherine Ahn. Artwork by Mashida Hadi. And theme music by Kais Esor. If you love Stories of Transformation, you can help more people find us by leaving a review and sharing the episodes far and wide. We're grateful for all your support. And on behalf of the Stories of Transformation team, I'd like to say thank you. Okay, see you next time.